Again, I welcome everybody to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. Today's study um, is going to be study number 57 in this continuing series uh, that we've entitled Angels and Giants, Fact or Fiction. And we made it to September. Today is September the 4th. 2022 and the year is rapidly getting gone. Uh, our purpose in this entire study series, as I've continually said, uh, is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in scripture and by doing so, uh, try to alleviate some of the confusion that some scripture passages seem to generate. And we've made it as far as the book of Revelation, of the Revelation this morning. And, um, you know, as, as we were going through it and I got to that point, the word angel occurs uh, 72 times in, in the book of Revelation alone. And there are other creatures that are, that are there that are not called by the, the term angel in the scripture. So I'm glad we took the time to stop and look. And we're going to see even more creatures this morning uh, from our study in, um, in Revelation chapter 9. Last week we we looked at um, we were as we were going through our study we kept digging our way through all the angel references in Revelation uh, that that occurs in chapters eight and nine uh, and we made it through chapter nine verse four last week um, this and all this deals with the seven angels with the seven trumpets and the events that bring about that they bring about on the earth accordingly is what we have been looking at here is the loosing of the seals, uh, the angels with the trumpets, and the things that come about as a result of the trumpets. And if you roll back to Revelation chapter 8 and look at verse uh, verses 12 and 13, uh, let's read 13 in particular, and then we'll pick up with our study in Revelation chapter 9 this morning. Uh, and it says in, in Revelation 8.13, And I beheld, and, and by, by the way, this study is by no means a in-depth study in the book of Revelation. We are trying to take a, a look, and even a cursory look, if you will, at the angels that are in the book of Revelation, what they do, their interaction with all this, and actually, before we even get into Revelation, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read you something. So when you come down to the Revelation, you wonder, well, what what is going on here and what is all this about? And and we, we very quickly realize that the book of Revelation is a culmination uh, to a lot of things that have been promised in the Scripture in uh, in prophecy, but it also lines up with a statement that Paul makes in First Corinthians 15. And I want to read First. Uh, I want to start out with this this morning. He'd been wondering kind of where does all this fit, and that seems to be the biggest problem that people have with the Book of Revelation and prophetic things as well. Where does this piece of the puzzle go? And that's where a rightly dividing the scripture can really help you. Uh, so, to bring all that kind of to a focal point, 
I read, a, and I just had this idea this morning, I need to read 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to read verses 17 through 28 uh, out of 1 Corinthians 15. Remember, the book of 1 Corinthians is written as a book of correction. And I'm saying all this as a segue into what we're going to look at in Revelation 9 this morning. The book of 1 Corinthians is a book of correction. Part of that correction that Paul was giving these Corinthians is correcting their view of those who had questions concerning resurrection. And what type of bodies do people have when they're resurrected? And uh, is there a resurrection from the dead? And Paul really addresses that question very well in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. But along with that, there's a statement that Paul makes in there, beginning at verse 17. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to read 17 through 28. And by doing this, I want you to understand where the what the overall plan of God is from the 35,000 foot view. Looking down on everything. Well, where are we going with all these things in Revelation? What is this a what is this a part of? What what is God doing here in Re, in Re, in the book of Revelation? So turn with me to First Corinthians fifteen. I'm going to start at verse seventeen, talking about Christ and His resurrection. Paul says in verse seventeen, and if Christ be not raised, he's making a wonderful argument here to these Corinthians concerning the power of resurrection and the and the resurrection of Christ. He says in 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. What he's saying is that if Christ isn't resurrected, and if Christ is, is not alive, if Christ is still dead, because remember, he was killed on the cross. Paul says if he didn't die, then we are yet in our sins. So he then says in 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, they're gone. They have no hope. They are apoloma in the Greek. They're perished. They're gone. My father-in-law used to call apoloma. He used to explain it this way. They have gone beyond the recall of God. Think about that. If you've gone to the place where God has chosen not to recall you, if you've gone that far, you're done. You're pretty much done. And so they that believed in Christ, because he says that they also which are fallen asleep in Christ. See, when people die as a believer, as a believer they fall asleep because the implication is there will be an awakening. At resurrection. Because we're, I, I hate to break it to you, but if you read this same chapter here in 1 Corinthians 15, you will find that we are not immortal beings. I hate to break that to you. I don't know if you were aware of that or not, because tradition likes to teach that we're going to live forever, ever, either in heaven or in hell. And they have no realization that we are not immortal beings. We have to put on immortality in resurrection. That's where you get 
resurrection is, I mean, where you get immortality is when you're resurrected. So let's read on. 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Wow. Isn't that something? Then the beautiful but now of verse 20. This is where the downward spiral of what Paul is talking about stops and turns around and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection comes through. But now, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? He says, for since by man came death, by Adam came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. By the Lord Jesus Christ, the door of resurrection from the dead is opened. Very plain to see. Very easy to understand. For as in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ, all are made alive. That doesn't mean that everybody that ever lived is going to be resurrected, whether they believe in Christ or not. That's not what that verse says. But every man in his own order. You see that in verse 23? Christ the firstfruits. Here's the clarification of that verse we just read. Christ the firstfruits is raised afterward. You see that? Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Because the church, the body of Christ, the appearing, hasn't been revealed to the Apostle Paul yet here in Corinthians. So when you see Paul speak, he's only going to reference the apocalypsis, the revelation, the parousia, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing about the body of Christ or the epiphania here in 1 Corinthians. Every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Every man in his own order. There are several resurrections. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there are. Several resurrections. All in the proper order. Verse 24. Then cometh the end. What do you think we've been looking at in the Revelation where the angels have all this interaction? That's the end. The parousia, the coming. The apocalypsis, the unveiling of the coming one. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Listen to this. Because this has everything to do with what we're talking about in Revelation. I want to make sure you understand this before we go any further. Then cometh the end, verse 24, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. He, Christ, has delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he, Christ, shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he, Christ, must reign till he, Christ, 
hath put down all enemies under his Christ's feet. Do you see that? He's got to reign until he puts down all the enemies. And the last enemy, verse 26, that shall be destroyed is what? The curse of death. The scripture calls death an enemy. It has always been a curse. It has always been an enemy. It has always been the opposite of what God would have desired for mankind. Death is not your friend. And we'll see that in Revelation 9 when we get there. The last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. And we're going to read down through verse 28. It says, For he hath put all things under his feet. He, the Father, hath put all things under the feet of Christ. Then in the rest of verse 27. But when he, the Father, saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he, the Father, is accepted, which did put all things under him, Christ. Do you see that? Only the Father won't be subjected unto the Son. Only the Father. And then the culmination in verse 28. And I love this. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, the Father, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, the Father, that put all things under him, Christ. Listen, that God, you see this verse, underline it in your Bible, that God may be all and in all. In the beginning, before God created anything, God was all. God was all. There was no sin. There was no dissension. There was no division in, in anything. God was God. And when he created, he gave his creation the ability to make their own decisions. He gave them free will because God didn't want an army of created robots just to tell him how great he was he wanted us to be able to think and to decide and that creation fell because part of it decided by reason of its own beauty that it wanted to have the position of the son of God and the rest, as we say, is pretty much scriptural history. But when all things are completed, this is where we're going. The eternal plan and purpose of God has an end. And the end, the end game, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. The end game of all creation is that God may take pleasure in it and that he may once again not only be all, that he may be in all. Do you see what I'm saying? With his creation, at harmony, at perfect peace, within the will of the Father. That is where we're going. 
What we're reading in the book of Revelation is a small part of that. Those are events leading up to all in all. The things that we're reading in Revelation are merely events where Scripture is being fulfilled, judgment is meted out, and vengeance of the Lord is being taken. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, upon the earth and upon the rest of creation. That's just a small part. So turn with me back to Revelation. I wanted to get that in there this morning. So that you would know where we're going and why we're going there. So, back to Revelation chapter 8, 13. We're looking at the fourth angel with the fourth trumpet that has sounded in Revelation 8. John says in verse 13, And I beheld and heard one eagle flying through the midst of heaven. I know your Bible says an angel, but I believe if you look at the translation, that's more of an eagle. I beheld and heard one eagle flying through or in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. There are three woes. What we're about to read in chapter 9 is the first woe. The description of the events that bring about the first woe. Woe, woe, woe for to the inhabitants of the earth by reason or out of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound or which are about to sound. So there were three more angels that were about to sound with the woes. So we'll pick up at chapter. Now, my introduction is done. <laughs> my introduction is done. We're going to start in today's lesson here. I know we got down through verse 4 last week, but it, I think it's worthy to go back and look at it again. Um, talking about the fifth angel here. And the fifth angel sounded. I'm in Revelation 9-1. The fifth angel sounded, John said. And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Very important you remember that. The star, according to the notes in the Companion Bible, and I, I agree with what I see because it makes sense, and this being is also referred to later, this star is none other than Lucifer himself. The Lord said he witnessed this star fall from heaven from the third heaven to the second heaven, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. And Isaiah 14 goes through the I wills of Satan that brought about his ejection from the third heaven. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall or fallen from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, the Abusas. This bottomless pit is somewhere on this planet, probably even as we speak. Yes, the planet you live on. Because when this, when this Lucifer is fallen from heaven to the earth, 
with this key, he is going to open this bottomless pit. And the things that come about after that are not really, not really good. Not for the earth. So he's fallen from heaven into the earth, and to him was given the key of the abusos, the bottomless pit. Verse 2, and he opened the bottomless pit. This is on the earth. I don't know where. I've got my ideas, but I can't prove it for sure. I know that there are a lot of movies that deal with this. I've seen movies that have alluded uh, that there may be things buried under the polar ice caps, which they tell us are melting at an alarming rate, by the way. Just throw that in there. He opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit. So this is a physical place on the earth that is covered over, evidently, at this time. I don't know where it is. Nobody claims to have ever discovered it, to my knowledge. But he opens it, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of the great furnace. And the sun and the air was darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. If it's big enough and huge enough to generate enough smoke to darken the air and the sun, then it's a pretty good-sized place. Have you ever seen, like, a volcanic eruption? The area that the volcano and volcanic eruption happens in is literally the dust from the volcanic ash will will make like a, it almost looks like an eclipse. It shades the sun so badly that the sun can't even get through it. That's kind of what's happening here. And then verse 3. I know we went, we're, we're going to go over them again, even though we went over them last week. Verse 3. And there came out of the smoke. Now listen to this. This is mind-boggling to me. Because if these are in the smoke that are in the pit that are on the earth, they're probably here right now. And we don't even know it. They're just closed up right now because the pit is not open. They're within the pit and the pit is closed. There came out of the smoke locust. Here in verse 3. Locust. Everybody knows what a locust is. Our definition is it's a big voracious grasshopper. And they travel in swarms. You can read about that's part of the plagues and famines that took place in ancient Egypt and in ancient uh, Jerusalem around in Judea, where the locusts would just, when they descend on a, a crop, they just devour everything. They eat everything the humans were going to eat. And they create famine, create hunger. So these locusts, this is the Greek form acris, A-K-R-I-S, and you can read more about them, Matthew 3, 4, and Mark 1, 8. We're not going to go there today. Check it out on your own. There came out of the smoke locust upon the earth. And it makes sense because they came out of the pit that was on the earth. That Lucifer with his key opened. 
And unto them the locust was given power. Exousia in the Greek. Unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Well, everybody knows the power of a scorpion, don't you? You step on one, you'll figure it out real quick. The scorpion's power is in his tail. That's where that big old stinger is. Have you ever seen a locust with a stinger? This is a new creature that we have run upon here in the scripture. I don't know who created these creatures. Whether they be created by God himself and put in storage, or whether they are some concoction of evil as a result of the tampering that Satan did. I don't know. I have no idea. I would say at this point it could be either way. They answer these locusts, as we see and go down through this, these locusts answer to their master, the one that let them out of the pit. Didn't know if you knew that or not. Let's read on. These these acris, these grasshoppers with stingers, best I can tell. I don't know how big they are. But I know when they're in a swarm, they make a lot of noise. So let's read on. Under them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Verse 4, and it was commanded them or said to them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Ah, they have a different purpose than a regular grasshopper. A regular locust will attack. Well, as we read over in uh, verse 7 of chapter 8, there ain't much grass and trees and green stuff left. Remember? Mm -hmm. All, most of that's already been burned up. So these locusts are commanded not to bother any of that. They have a more specific purpose. Isn't that something? It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So, at some point prior to this, there has been a sealing. God has sealed some men in their foreheads. And the only ones that can be stung are the ones that do not have this seal in their foreheads. Isn't that something? Wow. Let's read verse 5. And to them it was given that they should not kill them. The men, obviously, that they sting but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now, I've never been stung with a scorpion. But I understand that to be a really painful sting. 
The worst thing I've been stung with lately was a few yellow jackets. And that hurt bad enough. It hurt almost a day. So I can imagine how these, can you imagine that kind of pain for five months? And incidentally, did you know that the the season, the note in the companion Bible states that the true season for locusts to attack plants was like five months, May through September. So the the five-month sting sort of goes right along with the the amount of time that normal locusts would threaten a crop. Five months. When you get stung with one of these, it's going to hurt for five months. And it must hurt a lot. Let's read on. Let's read it again. Five and, and to them, it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And then the verse that blew my mind. Verse 6. And in those days, the days of the stinging locust, shall men seek death, listen to this, and shall not find it. These stings hurt worse than I can imagine. I just want to go ahead and kill myself and get it over with. Well, guess what? <laughs> Zombie time. You can't kill yourself. Death won't, death won't work. You don't get out that easy. Basically. Have you ever really thought about this? The curse of death for those that are stung is suspended. They will seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. Do you see that? That's absolutely incredible. You wonder where all these zombie movies come from? There you go. I wonder if we're going to see people, or if you were alive at this time, if you would see people that have tried to shoot themselves and have just huge head injuries or have tried to stab themselves and they just can't die. National Weather Service. They just can't die. They'll seek death and can't find it. That that one blew my mind when I saw it. I gotta admit, I've seen it before, but I've never really stopped and considered the import of it until I looked at this. Wow. And then we're back to the locusts. John is really taken by these locusts. We get a very detailed description of these stinging locusts. Verse seven. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. Evidently they, they're fairly, uh, they've got these protective plates that a lot of insects do only on steroids. It says, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. Have you ever seen a locust that looks like this? Thank God I haven't. Wow. And they had hair, verse 8, as the hair of a woman. 
of women. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they got stinging tails as well. These don't sound very hospitable. These, <laughs> as bad as I hate to say it, are quite likely on the earth as we speak. I don't know where they are. They are closed up. They're kept in store against the judgment of a great day. Verse 9. John goes on about these locusts. They had breastplates. As it were, breastplates of iron. Whatever their chest covering is, it's pretty tough. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses run into battle. When they, when they take flight, it must be like thunder. The sound of their approaching is unmistakable, evidently, in their day. I would say you can hear them coming from quite a distance away. A like a bunch of helicopters, yeah, I would say. Really noisy. Super noisy. What about that? Verse 10. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. We've already come to that conclusion. And their power was to hurt men five months. So once they sting you, there is a hurt that goes along that that lasts for five months. Listen to this in verse 11. And they had a king over them. They have a boss. They have a director who tells them what to do. They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Oh, now we know what the star is, don't we? The one that had the key. Now, at some point, he gets that key taken away from him. And he himself gets put into the bottomless pit. They had a king over on verse 11, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. The Hebrew word, the destruction, is what Abaddon means. But in the Greek tongue, tongue hath a name Apollyon. means destruction. And it sounds like from the uh, description of these locusts that we're definitely talking about destruction here. I don't see anything creative or constructive that's going to come out of these things other than just death and pain. Or pain, no death. They can sting, but you have to put up with it. You can't even kill yourself to get out of it. Turn with me for a minute to Joel chapter 2. I want to read you something. Joel chapter 2. Let me find it here just for a second. Um, 
Joel speaks a little bit of the day of the Lord. The prophet Joel. I want to read verses 1 through 11 of Joel chapter 2. And I want you to see if it sounds familiar. Joel says in verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the Lord's day, the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness, verse 2, and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Verse 3, a fire devoureth before them. We've already read about the fire, haven't we? And behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them. Who is the them we're talking about here? All of a sudden, Joel just starts talking about a them. He said, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The word them is used in that sentence five times, isn't it? One, two, three, four, five. Sure is. All the thems. Verse four. The appearance of them, listen to this, is as the appearance of horses. Huh. And as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots, verse 5, on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face, verse 6, remember what the faces look like? The face of a man. Before their face, the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. Verse 7, they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men. You see that? Like men of war. And they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. They are very well coordinated. Very well controlled. Verse 8, neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. Verse 9. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon the houses. They shall enter at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. Where have you seen that? And the stars shall withdraw their shining. Verse 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Oh, I wish the Lord would come tomorrow. <laughs> I'm always amazed at somebody saying that statement. 
they know not what they pray for. I respectfully submit. I just wanted to read that. I wanted to kind of read that in conjunction with the description of the things that are going on here in Revelation chapter 9. I didn't know uh, if any of you had read that before. But I wanted to read Joel in, in connection with what's unfolding here in, in the book of Revelation. So verse 12 says, One woe is past. Ah. After John describes these locusts and all that they're going to bring about, he says, One woe is past. Remember there's woe, woe, woe. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Three of them. One woe is past. And behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Two more woes. Remember, we go from the book to the opening of the seals to the angels with the trumpets and then other angels. Then we have the woes. I mean, you'd almost have to make a like a flow chart of things that are taking place here. So all that was to do with the fifth angel that sounded. Verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, the sixth one. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had, trumpet, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. What? Did you know these were there? Let me ask you a question. Are they there as we speak? If so, how long have they been there? You ever wondered that? Well, evidently, except man. I think they've been here quite a while. Or maybe before man. Maybe so. Because when you get the idea of reading this in Scripture, that's not a normal uh, river. And these rivers are mentioned a lot, remember, by name back in the book of Genesis yeah. at creation. Yeah. I just want to remind you of that. And they they don't start a little and, 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 and join each other to make heads. It's like there's a head and then it starts going the other way. Yep. It says, loose the four angels... This is what's told the sixth angel by the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. The four horns say to the angel, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. We've got angels on top of angels doing things that loose angels here. I mean, if you're in an angel study, you're in, we're in the thick of it here. If you're studying angels, which we are. I mean, you, you, there's, there's more than enough angels in Revelation to go around, y'all. So it says, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. My personal belief is that they're there as we speak, but they have to be loosed. They are bound somehow, obviously. And they can only be loosed by these, by the sixth angel. It says in 15, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour 
and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. What? They're kept there, ready to slay men. That ought to make you feel really good. Praise God that I won't, I won't have to go through any of this. I believe the epiphania that guarantees me my hope in the heavenly places, the third heaven, as part of the body of Christ, I'm out of here a long time before this takes place. You can agree with that or not. So the four angels were loose, verse 15, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Listen to this. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. That's 200 million, if you do the math. The number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million, and I heard the number of them, John said. Wow. What do we got? 180 million people here in the, in the United States? No, we got about 300 million, yeah. 300 million? Wow. John says, and thus I saw the, the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them. So these are different creatures that are loosed out of the river Euphrates. Just more creatures. These horsemen. And they're horses, incidentally. Maybe they are horses. I don't know. And I saw the horses in the vision and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacent and brimstone. And the heads of the horses, listen to this, these are more creatures that we haven't run up on. At least I haven't seen one. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issue fire and smoke and brimstone. What comes out of their mouths is not good. By these three, verse 18, by these three was the third part of men killed. Wow. By the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. Their specific job is to kill men. Well, their power is in their mouth. Remember the power of the... Their power is in their mouth. The power of the locust was in their tails. The power here is in their mouth. And in their tails. Evidently, their tails are uh, lethal as well. It says, For their tails were like unto serpents, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And then verse 20 says, And the rest of the men, listen to this, which were not killed by these plagues, 
yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. And then verse 21, and we're done. Neither repented they, neither repented the men of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And evidently, it's these that these horsemen go after in this time, during this time. And we'll stop there with our study of angels in uh, in the book of Revelation. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's pretty amazing to me. Uh, a lot of things I've seen in, in looking at this that I've never really considered before, and the um, the impact of it that's obviously going to be on the face of the earth when these things uh, begin to take place. So we'll stop there for today. Um, uh, I saw from the emails. Yes, thank you, Tony. Alan Nass will be doing the Mysterion study today. It will be concerning judgment. And it kind of goes right along uh, with uh, what we've been seeing here in Revelation chapter 9. Same, um, you know, we've got a lot of judgment happening here as it's meted out by God on the face of the earth through these angels. Uh, I think Alan's, I looked through his PowerPoint. I think he's prepared a wonderful study on judgment. I think it will do you a great service to be able to sit and hear that. Uh, we will be recording it, so it will be posted on the Carolina site uh, as well here in the upcoming days. So be advised of that. Um, bow with us if you would, and we'll close, and then we'll um, we'll get on with the other studies. So bow with us. Father, once again, we thank you for the beautiful day. We thank you for your grace and love and mercy to those of us who are so undeserving. Father, thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his blood. Father, that was shed for us that covers us. Thank you for the grace and the mercy and the love that we have in him that is ours through that blood. Be with those that we mentioned earlier, Father, that need a touch from you. We pray that you would uh, work out all things according to your plan and your purpose, which you purposed in Christ before the ages were. For it's in his name today we humbly pray as we close. Amen.